You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. So today's scripture reading comes from uh, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit? A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I am rich. I'm richly blessed by God. Not a pun on my name, but I am. Um, I'm honored to be here with you again this morning as we, uh, we have a little rotation going. As if you're a first-time visitor or you're visiting online, Will, our, our pastor is on sabbatical. So it's an honor to be here among the rotation with Brian and Joe uh, to to bring, your, bring God's word, to walk through scripture with us, to continue our worship and the reading and hearing of God's word. What a blessing it is. And just so y'all are wondering, uh, we're okay. My wife and I are okay. We were sitting in different places today, but we're fine. <laughs> For those online you can't see her, Heather was appointed by Brian, I think, to be the rhythm leader right up front. So there she is. Good job, ladies. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we we come before you this morning as humble people. Father, sometimes in our humility, we, we trip and we stumble and maybe we're not as humble as we think we are. We ask for your forgiveness and Father, as we come into your presence, into the presence of the one true holy God, we ask your forgiveness on, on us for people of unclean lips. We ask for your redemption and, you're for, and preserve through time for us to see today. Help us to make application to our hearts. Help us to, to see the challenge. Help us to see the struggles that we are going through in this moment, but also the victories that we have in Christ. And Father, I pray for myself, and I just pray that uh, the words in my mouth, the meditations in my heart today will be pleasing in your sight. Let them touch the people today that they may grow closer with you. They may grow closer in godliness and humility that we may serve others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, uh, so this passage, it's an interesting passage. Lakita read it. It's pretty plain. It's pretty open. Jesus gives us one point. He gives us an illustration. He reminds us of that point, and then he moves on. So we could pretty much pray and leave today, and hopefully you would probably get more than I could possibly expound on this. But I do want to take just a few minutes and bridge a gap for us from what Joe so well did last week in talking about the golden rule. And the golden rule challenging us to treat other people with great dignity. And it challenges us to take a different path, take a different way than culture is taking right now today. For it's easy in our culture just to get on the bandwagon to bash other people who are down and downtrodden or say something you don't like 
That's the easy way. It's harder to extend forgiveness, extend grace, and extend love to people who are different than you. Enter by the narrow gate. The way is hard, but that's the one that leads to life, Joe taught us last week. Today, Jesus says, it gives us a way of how do you do that? He gives us a, a warning, and there's an obstacle at that hard gate that you have to overcome, but those prophets aren't very obvious because they are sheep in wolves' clothing. And Jesus is very, very plainly saying, things may sound good, they may look good, they may taste good, but inside they're corrupt, and they will infect you and corrupt you. It's a warning. And then he tells us how to notice them, and he repeats it twice. So that's what we're going to look at. Today we're going to look at Jesus' call for us to be not just sheep, but Jesus is calling us to be sheepdogs. And I had a great picture, but we couldn't get it up. I don't know if, you, if you're over 40, you probably remember the, the Looney Tunes with Ralph the Wolf and Sam the Sheepdogs. Anybody remember that? So he's, t- he's teaching us to be Sam the Sheepdog. And I don't know about you all, but I never saw Sam Sheepdog's eyes, but he saw everything that Ralph the Wolf was doing. So he's calling us to be kind of like Sam the Sheepdog today. But let me ask you, have you, ever, have you ever gotten something, and once you got it, you were so excited about it, it didn't live up to what you thought it was going to be? A little buyer's remorse. Maybe you did something, and you thought, oh, that's going to be great. And then once you did it, you're like, oh, that's a little disappointment. It looked good on the outside, The varnish looks good, but on the inside, it's not quite what you thought. Before Heather and I moved here, we were able to, had the privilege of living in Okinawa, Japan, and during that time, I was able to spend several weeks in Thailand doing some work there, and I went with a friend of mine who became a friend of mine. I didn't know him before we went. His name's Arun, and Arun, uh, I talked to him just yesterday. He's, he's He's a chaplain in a prison. So imagine that struggle of being a chaplain in a prison system every day. But Arun's also a reserve Navy chaplain. What's interesting about Arun, and the reason he was in Thailand with me, because he grew up in Thailand. He didn't leave Thailand until he was about 27 years old. So I got to spend two weeks traveling all through Thailand with just Arun and I, uh, and I had my own tour guide, my own translator, and someone who showed me phenomenal Thai food. <laughs> who knew? I loved, I've become to love Thai food, and there's a great place by where we used to meet over at Brew, so if you haven't been there, it's great food. But here's what I noticed. When you go into that place over there, which I won't give them a, a shameless plug, um, Siam Classic, <laughs> they, you can order anything, you can get any spice level, and they give you one to 10, you can, and it's kind of for Americans, give me you know, great at one to 10. And one thing I've noticed is I like it hot, and every time I'm number seven or number eight, it's always different. Sometimes it's kind of like a four, and sometimes it's kind of like a 10 plus. It just depends on how much they pour in there, right? So I'm out with Arun, and um, we got to where he would just order for me wherever we went. And I had great food every day, every meal. He never disappointed me. And we were out on a, it was lunchtime. And I don't know if you know anything about Thailand, but in the summertime, it's hot. Arun takes me to this roadside place where we sit outside at a picnic table. And it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. It's like 95 degrees but he said, this is the best food around. You'll enjoy it. I'm like, okay, let's get in the shade. So we did. And they bring out this smorgasbord of food. I think we're the only people there, and they brought the whole kitchen, laid it all out. I'm loving it. It's, it's so good. But I am physically hot, and it's spicy, because I look around, and there are no white people around this place. 
There, there's nobody that looks like me. So this is all locals. It's hot. Even Arun, who grew up there, he's sweating from the temperature of the food. So I, at one point, I'm like, Rune, this is, this is hot, this is good, but this is, whew. You know, if you ever got to that point where you eat spicy food and you just can't think, that's where I was. <laughs> so I was sweating on the inside and the outside. And I noticed Rune says, well, have some of that, that salad, that papaya salad over there, which he said, that'll cool you off. I look at it, and it's big chunks of papaya, some fresh greens. I'm like, ooh, that looks like it's, that would cool my mouth off right now. So I take a big old papaya, put it in my mouth and immediately regretted it because what I found out that he told me later was sometimes the locals like to put Thai chili paste and the seeds in the papaya. (laughs) So I had to take a break and take a knee, take a breath there for a little bit. Later on, I had to talk with Arun. Hey, buddy, can you give me a little bit of heads up on that next time? And he was laughing. He said, well, usually when white people show up, they don't put it in there. I didn't know because you can't see it. Um, so we had a great, a great time there. We still joke about it. We joked about it yesterday. Um, but the point is, what looked to be pleasing and beautiful and nice and what I needed to satiate me at the same time, on the inside, it was full of venom. It was, it was deceptive. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Watch out. Watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. Just to give you a kind of picture of where we are, we're not just going to look at one paragraph in here. Last week, we we talked about the gates. Next week, we're going to talk about, do you know Jesus? Brian's going to talk about that. But in the bigger picture of the Sermon on the Mount, because this is one small teaching and a big sermon that Jesus is preaching, we have to remember that the start off where he said, this is what a Christian should be like in the Beatitudes. This is what should come out of you so that you can be salt and light in the world. We moved into chapter six, we talked a little bit about spiritual disciplines and Jesus says, this is what life is like in fellowship with the Father is we struggle through the things in our own life and our own heart of where we like things, we like to be noticed and we like a little bit of comfort. And he gave us some warnings in there. Chapter seven which has been a little disjointed because we had to move some, move some uh, uh, sermons around. The general theme through chapter seven, if you look through all the paragraphs, it's judgment. He's talking about judging others, lest you be judged. But also here, he's talking about the false prophets judged. And he's saying we're, we are living under God's eye in full vision of who we are. He knows our hearts, he knows our motivations, he knows your actions. So don't think he doesn't know. And he reminds us in chapter five, be holy because my father is holy. Follow after him. So this is just further teaching on how can we be holy? How can we be, Jesus coaches us. He's coaching us on how to recognize the deceptive nature of veiled appearances and how we as Christ followers can see the truth through that. He's coaching us to see the Thai chili in the papaya when we can't see it. So as you're battling through your heat, think about God's there. But the problem is, just like in the hearers of Jesus, they lived in a culture that had changed their religion over time to be a religion of rules. And Jesus calls this out all the time. He calls calls out the Pharisees. They were... They really wanted to be close to God, 
But the way they did it was about following rules, so much so that they had rules around the rules and they enforced upon other people. And then they started holding to the rules with their fingers crossed behind their back. So it's kind of like what we do today where the speed limit's 55, but that means we can go 65, right? It's kind of what they did. We struggle, though. We struggle because we live in a world that, that doesn't know God's word. We live in a society that has other ideas, and that's okay. We're there to be the salt and the light. But as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, how much are you being influenced by culture versus the other way around? And Jesus is saying, watch out, because there are people who are coming in, even into our church. They're not, they're not being deceptive. They're just bringing things in and tying it together, and it's not biblical. It sounds good, but it's not biblical. We gravitate to these things because they sound good, because we like comfort. We like to run away from things that we say that you shouldn't do because we like justifying our own actions. Jesus says, go through the narrow gate. It's a hard path. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm pretty lazy. I don't want to take the hard path. I want to take the easy one. Heather's shaking her head, yes. I want the path in the lazy boy chair and not the steep climb. But Jesus is saying that climb is what leads to life. It's not your actions on that climb, it's who you are on that climb to him. And God says, there's one thing you can't do. And then enters the serpent in chapter three. And he entices them and shows them that that fruit that God said don't take is actually good. It's pleasing. And then he twists it into, well, he tickles their heart. He says, if you take that fruit, then you'll be like God. You'll have all this knowledge. And so Adam and Eve, as you know, go, okay, sounds good to me, let's do it. And that's where we are today. But don't our advertisers know that as well? If, you're, if you remember the Looney Tunes, if you're old like me, or as old as I am, finish this sentence for me. You can have it, your way. Where's the beef? Um, what's the, army, the old army slogan? I can't remember now. Join the Navy and see the world. So advertisements over time taught us these jingles. But do, I don't know if it's maybe because I don't watch TV anymore. I don't watch commercials because we can stream everything. But how are they getting us now? It's on your phone. It's not just advertisements, but they are marketing you. Every single thing you touch, they send you something to entice you that sounds good, that looks good, but that's hollow and it's fake. They call it marketing. That's just a nice word to say you're being manipulated. And Jesus is saying they're sheeps, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul in 2 Timothy gives us a warning to, to leaders, but I think it's applicable to everybody in the church because we're all the priesthood of believers. And he says, for the time is coming, and just think about what you, our culture today and where we're at, the sound teaching. But have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off unto myths. We find the people that we like that, that validate what we think and what we believe and we're going to continue to follow them and as we follow them, our media sends us more and more and more and more to justify our, where we're at. 
tries to hide the counter opinion. But then Paul finishes and says, as for you, Christians, leaders, pastors, always be sober-minded, endure the suffering, kind of sounds like a hard path, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So protect us from the judgment, this is the theme through here, to help us be aware of these theological wolves, Jesus gives us a simple remedy. It's very, very simple. It's what your grandmother taught you. It's about your fruits and your vegetables. It's about your veggies. So what we're gonna talk about in just a minute is understanding actually what is a prophet and why do we need to, to look at the fruits and vegetables of their life. So who are they? How do we see them? And what is our response? Who are they? How do we see them? What is our response? When you think of the word prophet, I, I think of initially just of some guy in a cape and a wizard hat and predicting the future, right? Well, it's some of that. So we have Old Testament prophets. Jesus is, when he says this word, Jewish, think, he's, he's having them think back to what they've been taught uh, growing up as, as good Jewish kids. We have major prophets, just theologically. We've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. And then we've got those minor prophets, those 12 other books that no one ever reads in the back of the Old Testament. Your Amos, your Joel, your Obadiah, Habakkuk. Can anybody say any more? Micah. Micah, there you go. Micah, Malachi. Those are, those are what we call the minor prophets. So because their books are smaller. But there's also prophets throughout the text that didn't have books named after them. You know, kind of famous ones like Moses and Nathan and Samson. Those kind of guys. Elijah, Elisha. They do two things, really, when you go back and read them. He wants them to pray for, for God's people so they intercede. You know, how many times did Moses say, God, please don't strike them down. I know they're awful. I know you want to just smite them. Please don't do it. And God relents. So he intercedes for his people. And the second thing he has them to do besides praying is proclaim. They're preachers. They're the mouthpieces of God. And they're communicating God's word to them, which has now been recorded for us to bring us closer to God. Sometimes it came by dreams, sometimes by visions, sometimes angels or angelic beings visited them. Sometimes we don't know where the word came from. It just, it just opens up with a, a similar phrase that kind of says, and the word the Lord came to me saying. So they had, a, had authority, a word of the Lord. And their messages were kind of fell into two categories. They, so kind of like the guy in the cape and the, and the wizard hat predicting the future, they did foretell things that were coming. You know, Moses goes to, goes to the Pharaoh and says, hey, if you don't do this, if you don't let my people go, this is going to happen, and this plague is going to happen, and this plague is going to happen, and it happens. And then others talk about what happens in the end time, what, what will happen when the day of the Lord, when God comes back. But most of the time, most of the writings, when you, when you see them, these prophets are forthtelling. So they're, what they're doing is they're speaking God's word to direct human action. They're saying, you need to repent. You need not to do these things. You need to get back to what God has called you to do and be in right relationship with him. Experience eternal. You can see the future king and coming Christ so that you can experience eternal salvation. Now, there were false prophets in the Old Testament, and we're not going to go all into this, um, but there's, there's other gods, and they did predict the future, and things came true. But what was different about the false prophets versus the Old Testament prophets is three characteristics. They're always focused on returning to the covenant of God, repairing the covenant where they went away, think of, of divorce and coming back, 
So it's the repairing of the relationship, of the getting people back. They're always very clear and very accurate, although we don't understand all of them. They were still very clear, and they were confirmed by, by Scripture. These, these three things weren't met. They were considered false prophets, and there's a section there that says you take them out and stone them, which is pretty harsh. So I hope today you don't stone me after, after the service. But there's consistency there. And I'm rolling through this because we could do a whole study on prophets. But what about the New Testament? So there's foretelling and foretelling, but what about the New Testament? Was there, is there a need for a New Testament prophet with Jesus on the scene? And I think the answer is yes and no, because it's yes because Jesus is telling us about them, but it's also no in the fact that they're not bringing new revelation as the Old Testament prophets did. So let's, talk, let's think about it. Old Testament prophets, they prayed, they interceded for your behalf. Jesus came on the scene, Jesus is here, he is God, and he goes and sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for you. We don't need a prophet for that. We have the prophet to do that for us. They proclaim that the mouthpieces of God, Jesus came to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So again, he takes that role. But the message that we have today still needs to be proclaimed to people. So there is a prophetic role in that, in that we really consider preaching and teaching. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Watch out for the preachers and teachers who are standing at the door, who sound good, who look good, who are charismatic, who speak well, but listen to what they're speaking. And also, so there's the content of what they're speaking, but it's the content of their character. And Jesus is most concerned about the content of their character. So look with me back in, in Matthew chapter seven. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you as sheep in sheep's clothing, inwardly a ravenous wolf, so they're, they're cloaked, you can't see them. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So they're gonna be cast away. Let's take a couple of the look, other places in scripture. He verse says there are sheep's and wolves clothing, so they're creeping in, unseen. Jude, anybody done read Jude for your devotion recently? Yeah, Chris has, of course, he, of course he has. Jude, a very small book, has no chapters, just verses. Jude, verse four, he talks about that they're creeping in quietly. Another small book, Third John, has a little discussion about it and Deotrophes or Deotrophes. He compares Deotrophes to Demetrius, so there's a good teacher and a bad teacher. Deotrophes, is a, he's, he's, not, he's not falling under authority. He's not listening to Paul anymore or John. He's not, being, he's not allowed to be corrected. And it's so much so, he's not teaching the gospel and he's throwing people out of the church. So he gets to the point where he's throwing people out of church, so he's a leader. So people have recognized him and like him, so he sounds good, he's a leader in the church, but yet he's gotten to the point he's become a dictator. And John says he ought not be there. And second John, he talks about, John says that there's, there's teachers that have come in that have stopped teaching the gospel, that they're teaching their own gospel. They don't, and what they're teaching, they don't even live by themselves. So they're teaching one thing, but they're doing another. Kind of sounds like Pharisees. And probably the, the longest teaching in the, in the uh, New Testament on false prophets uh, is in 2 Peter chapter 2. 
It seems like there's also other, other areas. Every second book, there's something about prophets, false prophets. But Peter says in verse two that they, they're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. So again, they're beautiful, luscious-looking pieces of papaya. Verse 14, he, talk, he gets into their, who they are as a character. And this one's what got my attention. They entice unsteady souls. So who are the unsteady souls? That's every one of us. Every one of us in here, maybe right now is going through a difficult time. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult place in life. You find some unsteadiness. If it's not right now, you've gone through it in the past or it will come in the future. These teachers who sound good have great platitudes, but they don't teach the full gospel. They just teach the love of God. When it comes to things are difficult, they're just platitudes. It's not truth. So beware, Jesus says. Jesus says to the Pharisees, comparing them to the false prophets, Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Outside looks good, but they're corrupt on the inside. Going back to Jude, I love these words. Listen, listen to how Jude describes them. They, false prophets, are hidden reefs at your love feast. So they're coming to the table and it looks like beautiful, calm, turquoise water, but underneath there's a rocky reef. Watch out, they're dangerous. As they feast you with you without feed themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the wind, so their doctrine just goes anywhere the wind blows, so where public goes, where the public opinion goes, that's where they're gonna go. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea. This doesn't sound anything encouraging to me. They cast up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude is backing up what Jesus is saying, saying these people have no fruits of the Spirit. And fruits of the Spirit are, Paul says, are love, joy, peace, things that these preachers and teachers should be showing, but they're just giving you platitudes and none of the other stuff in their character. Second Peter, towards the end, I was going to read it, but for time's sake, he gets down to the end of his chapter. He does a whole chapter on this, and he quotes from the Proverbs, and he says these, pre- these false preachers and teachers, they say good things, but in the end, they are a sow that will go back to the mud and a dog that will return to its vomit. And he's saying that they have heard the truth, they have come to the truth of Christ, they have taught it, but yet they return. And he said it would have been better for them to have never been born because they've led people astray. You know, a couple years ago, we had the phrase that became thrown around in politics of putting lipstick on a pig, right? That's what Jesus is saying. We gotta watch and be careful of who we allow into our life to influence you, who we allow as a church to teach and preach to make sure they are just not cleaned off pigs that will eventually return because of their own want, their own desire for attention, for whatever it is. 
Okay, so that's who they are. I know this is pretty solemn, huh? Exciting, right? What's our response? Well, I'll give you some couple of do's and don'ts. First off, we need to know who they are. We need to know they're there. Jesus says they're, they're, they come, as, again, as sheep. They look good, they sound good, but be, watch out, beware. So a couple of things we don't want to do as Christians to make sure that we're, none of us are sheeps in, in, or wolves in sheep's clothing, we don't want to set up truth commissions. We don't want to set up panels to decide who is and who isn't. And we decide if we don't like you, then we're just going to cancel you and throw you out of the church. We don't want to be mean. We don't want to do that in our families. Don't want to do that in our culture. We want to be gracious. In the previous paragraph, he says, or previous first part of chapter seven, judge not lest you be judged. Extend the grace because not all false prophets are intentionally false prophets. Some of them have great intentions. It's just their theology gets off a little bit or they need a little bit of coaching and training. I'm sure you've all seen the, the, the new person who comes to Christ and they're all very excited. They wanna be here every day. They wanna serve and they're zealous and we've seen them put them in teaching positions and they're just not ready. They need maturity. They need time. Or you've had a teacher or a preacher who just got off, got off the track a little bit and tossed something just a little bit off, may not be consistent with God's word. That's where we come alongside them. We ask them, where'd you find that in scripture? Let's be gracious and let's come back to, because their heart is good. Their heart's not always bad. So just because the outside may be a, a problem, let's not judge them before we, we work with them. The other thing we don't do is we don't gossip about them. We do not gossip. We've had many, many great preachers and men of God and leaders who have fallen to sin. There's two in my mind right now. They're in the paper right now. They've done great things for God, but they had some sin in their life, usually sexual in nature. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, the word of God. Everything and burn all their books because there's good things in there. We just need to compare it to the word of God. The other thing is uh, your opinion. We all have opinions. We all have them. Don't affirm your opinion all by yourself. Surround yourselves with people you trust and you know you know their character. You know they're going to speak truth to you and tell you if you're wrong. And be willing to hear it. Be open. Be examining. Second thing, don't surround your friends or what you look at online with things that just justify your own feelings and opinions. Look counter. Look outside. Have somebody come up. Don't throw somebody out for just one sin. We're all sinful. We all fail. We all make mistakes. A couple of things we need to do better. We need to have patience. We need to have patience with one another in our family, one another in this family and online, in our church, but also patience with our coworkers and our neighbors. Have more patience. Be more graceful. When we have someone, I think this church does, does a great job with it. We have people who want to serve and want to teach we take time with them. We wait to see, move slowly, wait to see about maturity and fruit in their life. What fruit is being seen? Are we seeing goodness and patience and they want to do justice and mercy? Give time for observation, but also observe yourself. Observe your own heart. Examine yourselves and examine it against scripture. I failed you all. I tried to find my text uh, I can't find it right now. I couldn't find it this week, but there is a text in one of the epistles. It talks about how to examine something in the light of scripture. And it has this idea in the original language. I've taken an idea, whether it's 
and culture, because all truth is God's truth, and we're, we have philosophy and history and science and all that stuff. Now, God's word is not a science book, but it is a book of theology. And take it, and you hold it up like a jeweler looks at a jewel with his little magnifying glass. He's looking for imperfection. It holds up to a light. Take your idea, you know, just figuratively, and hold it up to the sun. Let the pure light come through. Or maybe hold it up to the S-O-N, to the Son of God, to Christ. Is that opinion, is that philosophy, is that thought, is it consistent with biblical theology? If it's not, then know it and take appropriate action. Consider it, but if it's not consistent with God's word, then it's not true. Compare it like you're looking at the sun. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we'll almost close with this. I have a couple questions for you in the end. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the elders that he's leaving in, in Ephesus in his church there. So these are the leaders. Down to verse 26, he says, chapter 20, verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I, have not, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul is saying, I've taught you everything I know about, the, about God's word. It's on you now. Go lead well. But he doesn't finish. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. I think Paul's expounding on what Jesus said here. Be alert. But as he's writing to the elders, but he's saying, elders, I need you to be under shepherds. The but is, this applies to every one of us. Because as we grow as baby Christians and we get off the, the spiritual milk and onto the meat of, of what God is saying, we make application to our life, he's calling each one of us to shepherd somebody else. That's how the gospel works. It's the only way it's gonna work is if we, we mentor and we spread it. And it may be to your children, it may be to your neighbor, it may be to your spouse, maybe to your coworkers. He's calling each one of us to be a shepherd and an overseer, rightly dividing the word of God. We gotta have the character to do it though. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, wrote in a great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and I've enjoyed reading through it. He asked a couple of questions about how do you know your heart? How do you know if someone who's teaching or preaching is, is doing it right? And he walks through the, the doctrines of what they need to teach, the doctrines of the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ, the nature of God, the nature of man, God's word, and he gets down to the heart. He says, ask these, ask these, these questions. This is how you see if someone's truly a prophet or, or a false teacher. It says, does the teacher know his own sinfulness? 
Does he know the blackness of his own heart? Does he know the judgment of God in a literal hell? Does he know his own vileness and helplessness that only a holy God can redeem him? Does he know the bitter shame and agony of the cross that is the only way to reconcile him to God? And does he teach that along with all the good things? We've got too many, we've got too many people on TV and famous preachers and megachurches right now that are talking about the good things but not the judgment of God. And they're leading people astray. So I ask you, church, think about these questions. Do you know your own sinfulness? Do you know the own blackness of your heart that only God can cover? Do you understand the judgment of God and that there is a literal hell and separation from him forever that only can be covered by Christ? Have you gotten on your knees recently and asked God to forgive you of the vileness and helplessness? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Have you really considered the awful, that's the only way for us to be reconciled to God through Christ? See, Jesus is talking about false prophets here, but he's really talking to you. Are you bearing the fruit for him? Are you ready to step out and say, okay, I know you're gonna prune my, my vines, I know it, but I'm still gonna produce grapes for you. And I'm gonna take it to the people. Because if you don't, there will be a fire, unfortunately. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit. Because we may think you know Jesus, but you may not. So do you know that you know that you know? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text and and it's simple. But yet it's deep. Father, we confess that uh, sometimes we have not bared the fruit that you've called us to bear. And at times we've unknowingly been false prophets and teachers. We just ask your forgiveness for that. But Father, as we move into a, a time of communion here, and for those online, if you move into a time of prayer, wherever you're at, in your home, in your car, on a walk, that you command us to examine ourselves, examine our own heart of where we are with you. Are we there? Do we know you? Do we know that it's only through your shed blood and your broken body that we may, be, we may do anything good in your sight? Forgive us, Lord, for when we haven't held up to that standard. But we also rejoice in you, Father, for in that your cup that we share represents your shed blood for each one of us. For the mission of sins and the sins of the whole world, but not only that, but for my sin, that you've redeemed me. And your broken body, as you talked about in Psalms, they broke your body for us that also redeems us from our sin. We ask your blessing upon it as, on these elements as we, give, as we take communion and that we 
do proclaim your death and your resurrection and to the future and glorious hope when you return and call us all home. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. As Brian plays in your own time, I ask you to examine yourself, spend some time with God, and receive the elements of communion.